0: Well, it's so good to have you here today, and I want you to take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter number 12. Mark, chapter number 12, if you would, please. We're going to continue our study in the book of Mark, and uh, we've arrived at chapter number 12. And... uh, Have you ever been disappointed in your life? In 1858, the Illinois legislature used an obscure statute, sent Stephen A. Douglas to the U.S. Senate instead of Abraham Lincoln. Although Lincoln had won the popular vote, they sent, because of the statute, Stephen A. Douglas to the Senate When a sympathetic friend asked Abraham Lincoln how it felt, he said, well, he felt like a boy had stumped his toe. He's too big to cry and too badly hurt to laugh. Have you ever been disappointed? I mean just flat out disappointed. A representative by the name of Joseph W. Martin, Jr a Republican and a House leader was often teased by his colleagues of being a bachelor. Someone asked him why he'd never been married. And he said, "Uh, I asked a young lady once to marry me. I knew she was a millionaire. And I asked her, would you please marry me? She said, no. He said, I knew you'd say that. She said, why did you ask me? He said, I wanted to see how it felt to lose a million dollars. (laughs) Have you ever been disappointed? Today, our story is called a parable. In verse number 1, the Bible said that Jesus began to speak to them in parables. And he said, a certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and lit it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. Now at the season he sent to the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husband of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant, and at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled." And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbands said among themselves, this is an heir, come let us kill him and in Inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard unto others. And have you not read this scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way." Let's ask God to kind of quicken our minds and, and in our spirits just a little while. Our Father, today, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that it is without error. We thank you that it is inspired. We thank you that it is preserved. And Lord, when we hold the Bible in our hand, we hold a holy book It talks about a holy God going to take us to a beautiful city one day. We thank you for it, in Christ's name, amen. The story today is a story about disappointing God. It's a story, a parable, and a parable is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is a actual story that has a deeper spiritual meaning. And as we read these verses, Jesus is teaching in the temple. Please let me turn you now to chapter 11 and look at verse 27 and we'll see to whom Jesus is talking or teaching. And they come again to Jerusalem. And he was walking in the temple, and there come unto him the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. And they say unto him, By what authority dost thou these things? So it's the third day after after cleansing the temple. It's just uh, two days before our Lord dies, and he tells this story to the religious leaders of the jewish nation israel i think maybe these folk got some idea of what the parable was teaching now there are several things we could talk about the parable but i believe we ought to allow scripture to interpret scripture and not some theologian someplace that has degrees like a thermometer. I don't believe we need to change God's Word, I just believe we need to live God's Word. I don't believe we need to make it fit us, I think we need to fit it. So let's you and I take a look in the book of Isaiah for just a minute, chapter number five, and that will show us what this parable is all about. Isaiah chapter number five, and we'll talk about a parable in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter number five. I'll give you just a moment to turn there. Now we have a parable about an owner who has a vineyard, who prepares the vineyard, plants the grapevines, builds a wall around the vineyard, sets a tower in the vineyard and completely makes a vat to put the grapes in so when they step on the grapes, the juice runs out freely. Now, the owner of the vineyard has rented it out. Problem renters. The owner of the vineyard did not buy it. He did not trade for it. The Bible says it was his. He decided to plant a vineyard. Nothing unusual in those lands because decorating the hillside and the landscape were individual vineyards with fence around it. And this was their money crop. Have you ever heard the term sharecropping? Now, if you were poor like us, you knew about sharecropping. The the plan is the owner provides the land, the tenants prepares the labor, and they split the crop, share, crop, bin. That works. The first automobile I ever had as a young teenager, I raised an acre of tobacco and bought the truck with the money from that crop, but I had to share crop it with the owner of the land. He got half the money. I got half the money. I bought the truck. My dad took the truck. I kind of know how God feels. It's an international truck. I could not reach the starter, it was on the floor because I was too short. My dad thought he'd make a good cattle truck. So he took the bed off and put a cattle rack on. Did you ever go courting in an international <laughs> Cadillac truck? That's why I'm warped. Blah, 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 blah. Sharecropping. The story is about sharecropping. Somebody owned the land. The landowner decided that he would make a vineyard. The owner of the vineyard planted the grapes. The owner of the vineyard built a fence around for protection. The owner of the field provided a tower so that they could stand and watch and keep guard and give security to the folks who worked the land. He made a wine vat for the wine fat. Ain't that sound good? Everything, everything that the renter needed was provided by the owner. Please let me read for you Isaiah chapter 5. You say, Preacher, you're reading as much scripture. We won't be home until the ball game is over. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with choice vines and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked and it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me in my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. Go to, go, and now go to. I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. What i will do to my vineyard guess who owns the vineyard why do we act like we do why are we stuck in the mindset of mine 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 i will tell you what i will do to my vineyard Notice he did not say, I will ask you what you will allow me to do in my vineyard. I will tell you. I will take away the hedge thereof, the fence around the vineyard. And it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof and it shall be trodden down and I will lay it waste. It shall not, be pruned nor digged but there shall come up briars and thorns and i will also command the clouds that they rain that they rain no rain upon it for the vineyard of the lord of hosts is the house of israel who is the vineyard the house of israel And the men of Judah, his pleasant plant, the vine dressers, the religious leaders of the Jewish nation. The very crowd that Jesus is talking to in the temple is the reference in which he is speaking. Preacher, you talking to me? Remember my famous saying. If I'm in your front yard, I'm not yelling at your neighbor. Well, that ain't the preacher preached to me today. If I was in your front yard, I wasn't talking to your neighbor. Jesus is in the front yard of those scribes and Pharisees and elders that run around in their pompous clothing pretending to be something they're not the crowd that jesus called a bunch of hypocrites he is teaching them in the temple and he says a man a certain man had a vineyard notice what he says now now close what are you laughing about I didn't have time to study and I'm too old to comprehend, we're just about done. And the men of Judah is pleasant planning. Look for judgment, but behold oppression, for righteousness, but behold a cry. Disappointed. The parable speaks of rank, terrible disappointment. It's just a sharecropping story for a bunch of rednecks if you'd, like to, if you'd like to understand it. If you're as old as I am, you probably remember sharecropping. Some of these kids over here, they have no idea what I'm talking about, and they will not until it's on TV. But when I was a kid, I think the plan was good. The owner prepares and provides the land. And the tenant, the laborers, the vine dressers prepared the labor. They split the profit. But we have a government program today that interferes with sharecropping. It seemed like that the government has an answer for everything. And so instead of having sharecropping today and we have a plan, I read a letter today. Could I please read it to you? If you don't want to hear it, you can go to the bathroom. A man named Don Giveaway wrote to the Honorable Secretary of Agriculture in Washington, D.C., and the letter reads like this. My friend, Dan Hanson, over in Honey Creek, Iowa, received a check for $1,000 from the government for not raising hogs. So I want to go into the not raising hog business next year. What I want to know is your opinion what is the best kind of farm not to raise hogs on? And what is the best breed of hogs not to raise? I want to be sure that I approach this endeavor in keeping with the governmental policies. As I see it, the hardest part of the Not Raising Hogs program is keeping an accurate inventory of how many hogs I haven't raised. Some of you folks look confused. My friend Hanson is very joyful about the future of the business. He'd been raising hogs for 20 years or so, and the best he's ever made on them was $422.90 in 1968 until this year when he got a check for $1,000 for not raising 50 hogs. If I get $1,000 for not raising 50 hogs, then I would like to get $2,000 for not raising 100 hogs. I plan to operate on a small scale at first, holding myself to about 4,000 hogs. 4,000 hogs not raised the first year, which would bring in about $80,000, then I can afford an airplane. Now, another thing, these hogs I will not raise will not eat 100,000 bushels of corn. I understand that the government also pays people for not raising corn and wheat. Would I qualify for payments for not raising these crops not to feed my hogs, I will not be raising. (laughs) Government's always got it figured out. I want to get started as soon as possible, as this seems to be a good time of the year to not raise hogs and not planting crops. Also, I'm giving serious consideration to not milking cows. In view of the fact that I will be totally unemployed, I will be filing for unemployment and food stamps. And was wondering how long this process would take. Be assured, Miss Secretary, you'll have my vote in the upcoming election. Patriotically yours, Don Giveaway. You say, what did that have to do with the message? Nothing. But as I read this song, this parable. I know, I know that the vineyard is the Jewish nation of Israel. I know that the vine dressers are the religious leaders of that Jewish nation. I also see the servants mistreated, killed, beaten are the prophets of the Old Testament. I also see that the well-beloved Son was Christ himself standing before the congregation there teaching them. And I see hidden down in the parable the little word, others. And will take the vineyard and give it to others. And that's Gentiles, the church of the Lord Jesus. And I want you to get the picture now. Jesus is teaching The religious leaders of the Jewish nation, and he's teaching them about a vineyard of which they were very familiar, teaching them about uh, uh, the the well plant in which they're well familiar, but they are not familiar with that son, the well beloved son, who would come and the owner of the vineyard was assured that they would respect and reverence the sun. Things have not changed much. The vineyard has changed. The Jewish nation, God is no longer dealing in the Jewish nation. He's now dealing with a Gentile congregation called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the vineyard has changed. The son came into his own, the Jewish nation, but his own received him not, the Jewish nation. And then he turned, but to as many as receive him gave he power to become the sons of God. So the, the theological application is there. It's evident. But I believe there is a major, ridiculous, pitiful thing. It kind of refers to folks today who does no longer respect God's men, who no longer respects and reverence God's Son. It's an amazing thing to me that God has provided us with America's freedom. America's luxuries, America's comfort, and we act as though it's ours. We did it all ourselves. Just think about that a minute. What do you have that God did not give you? The Bible said we, every good and perfect gift cometh from above, cometh from the Father in whom there's no variableness. And you just look around today. Uh, if I walk in the parking lot, uh, some of you are either rich or you got big payments. And somebody asked me the other day, said, "Preacher, what kind of mileage does your truck get?" I said, "If you got to ask that, you can't afford the truck." Amen. Somebody said, I want one of them little cars that bumps real hard and you're real uncomfortable in, and if something hits you, you're dead automatically. I want something big, because if I'm going to be a hitter, I want to be the big hitter. I want my wife in something big the way she drives. I mean, uh, uh, please scratch that off the tape or something. Has God been good to us? God has given us everything we can richly and wisely observe and enjoy. And I just look at this, and I see God is so good, and God has prepared. And notice, if you would please, I'd like to take the parable, just a minute, and now I've explained to you the theological application. Could I please talk to you about a practical today, you and me, right now kind of application. Could I do that in the next two minutes? Notice, if you would please, as I read the parable, it tells me of God's wonderful provision. Notice that, if you would please. You didn't have to be born in America. And if you don't like it, How far is it to the border, Lanny? That's all it takes you to get out of this terrible place called America. But have you, I think, I'd rather be on this side of the border. God did not have to birth you in America. You could have been birthed on the darkest continent in Africa, so far back in the boonies that they're still running around with bones in their nose cooking Gentiles for dinner. But you wasn't. We walk around and act like it's ours. We earned it. We work for it. It's ours what you don't realize is it's God's I said what you don't realize is it's God's I don't know if you know it or not but all the property you own when you die somebody else will own it and when they die somebody else will own it and when they die somebody else will own it and virtually when it all comes down to push and shove God Owns it all. Notice his wonderful provision in verse number 1. The Bible says that God set a hedge about it. Is that what it says? Set a hedge about it. The Bible talks about God setting a hedge around us. I pray for my kids and my grandkids constantly that God would build a hedge around them that would keep the devil out. You remember in Job's life when the devil tried to get to Job, he, the devil said, I cannot touch Job as long as your hedge is about him. Hey, I got news for you today. God has a hedge around the child of God. We can pray a hedge around our children. It is a wall of protection that keeps the devil and the outward foes from getting in. And so God is so good to do that. Not only does he set a hedge, God digged a place for the wine fat. He made a place for them to provide for the fruit so that he could have some kind of uh, return on his investment. What's wrong with God demanding a return on his investment? Do you know what it costs God to redeem you? Do you have any idea what God has done to provide for you and I a place called heaven. In the light of what God has invested, his son, his only son, his loving son, he invested his son for you. What is God getting in return for his investment. Are you like the vine dressers? Selfishly saying it's mine, I work for it, I pay for it, it's mine. In the light of what God has paid for you and I, what is God getting? In return. I'll look in the mirror every morning and say, God, you're lucky to have me. This parable tells me that God has prepared everything for growth and for fruit. There is nothing lacking. For growth and fruit. When harvest time comes, what kind of fruit will you bear as a result of our Father's investment? You say, well, I come to church when I feel like it. Because it's my time. Sunday's the only day I get To do my thing. Well, maybe your thing is the wrong thing. Well, I've got to do it. No, 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 listen. I'm just saying, when I read the parable the other day, I I, kind of got the idea that God is a wonderful provider. Not only that, the Bible said, and he built a tower, built a tower so that the vine dressers could feel safe because the watchman watched about. I am so glad that he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. I'm so glad that when Paul discovered that he didn't do what he wanted to do and did do what he didn't want to do, is anybody here like that? And uh, it just seems like the outward flesh and the outward foes and everything else is about to win the battle. And Paul said, "But thanks be unto God that give us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We got everything it takes. We just got to quit acting like we own it we got to quit acting like it's all ours. Can you say amen? Uh, have you ever? Hey, did you know that it's become so selfish in the world in which we live that nations is even claiming they own the airspace? Obama tells you where you can fly your airplane. Did you know that nations has... They're individual waters. You cannot enter their ocean without getting permission. We've come a long way, baby. When we own air and water. I wonder if maybe some of that hadn't carried over. Isn't God good? Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34, tells us how much God cares for us. I'll turn there. You can read it after a while. But in essence, it says that somebody clothes the lilies of the field. Somebody feeds the birds of the air. Is there anybody here? And it says that if he so clothed the flowers of the field and so feeds the birds, oh ye of little faith, will he not clothe you? Said you worry about things that the Gentiles and the heathens are worrying about. And he said, but if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, is anybody here? All these things shall be added unto you. What things? Clothing, shelter, and food. I bet if I walked through some of you ladies' closets, there's enough shoes to put shoes on the feet of everybody in Africa. But they don't match the dress you're going to wear next week. Huh? Some of you hunters have got so many guns, we could equip a great army. The greatest disease in America is obesity. You know what causes fat? Food. It ain't time to pray, look up. Food causes fat. I could take one paperclip and put you on a diet that will work for sure. We just put the paperclip right there. Food? Is your house too big for you? Has God provided a beautiful home for you? Has God prepared a wife for you that wants to buy all those shoes? did you throw any food in the garbage the last week? Why take you thought for tomorrow? For tomorrow will take thought of itself because the evil of one day is sufficient thereof. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you is there anybody here ain't God good I said ain't God good thank you son secondly it tells me of God's program verse 2 now here's the thing Here's the real kicker. And at the season he sent to the husband a servant that he might receive from the husband of the fruit of the vineyard. Here's God's program in one word. Trust. Trust. God trusted the vine dressers. He put a lot of trust in those who were being his servants in his vineyard. Many sermons are preached on faith and trust. Well, I don't know if I can trust God or not. The question is, can God trust you? not a matter of God changing. God's always the same. God's never gone off half cocked. God has never developed hoof and mouth disease. Open mouth insert foot. Is there anybody here today like that? God has never, has never, 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 never said anything or had a thought that he had to rethink or re-speak. God knows everything. Do you believe that? Then trust is a part of God's nature. But now get this. Trust is also a part of God's sovereignty and God's will. To us, What looks like patience is God's will and God's sovereignty coming to pass as it always will. Could I please illustrate? A man by the name of Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Are you listening? God is working on Pharaoh and through Pharaoh when Pharaoh thinks that he's the king. Ten times God does a work. Ten times God hardens the heart. Pharaoh lets the people go. Everybody on the outside says, I don't know why God just don't kill this sucker. Nine, nine judgments ago, when Moses turned the water to blood, God could have killed Pharaoh and set his people free. But he didn't. Pharaoh had to go through the blood, the lice, the moraine of cattle, the frogs. <laughs> One more night with the frogs. And on and on and on and on until finally the death of the firstborn and the Passover. And God said, let my people go. Moses and all of Israel left bondage. Exodus 14. God says, I will get me honor upon Pharaoh. And all that live in Egypt that they may know that I'm God. And as all of those Jews gathered at the Red Sea, God once again, we call it patience, we call it trust, but really what it is, it's God sovereign power and sovereign will you may think you're getting away with something but god don't always close books in the month of august or september and as the people of god gathered at the red sea pharaoh once again got a hard heart and was going to do it and came after god's people And God told Moses, I will, listen, get me honor upon Pharaoh. God wasn't interested in Egypt. He wasn't interested in all the chariots and all the horses. He wasn't interested in anything except, now listen, him getting honor and glory. Is he doing that with you? Just thought I'd pitch it out there. Or maybe, is your heart hard that when you come to church you sing the same old songs with the same old meaning and you can't wait till it's over so you can go do your do-a-ditty? Is God getting honor from us. Ah, oh, but God is patient. Thank God He is. Not only does God have a program, not only does God have a vision, I thank God God is patient. Sure about the guy, bought him a brand new car, pulled up at a stoplight in a busy time of day, and his car died. Cars all around him. He's trying to get it started. And you know what happens. The horn brigade begins to take place. He gets nervous, and the horns are blowing, and he gets mad, and the horns are blowing, and he don't know what to do. So he got out of his car, went to the car behind him, and said, "Say, sir, if you'll go try to start my car, I will blow your horn. God is patient Uh, I read one time that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but he is long-suffering not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance I see Patience upon patience, as the honor sends servants, the prophets, and they misuse them, they stone them, they kill them. and over and over again He sends somebody with a message of hope and a message from God, and He sends them again and again and again while God's patience and long-suffering. by the way, if you're not saved, why are you here today? If you're not absolutely sure you died right now, you go to heaven. What are you doing here today? Do you think that God, in his marvelous, wonderful power and sovereignty, got somebody to ask you to come? And you're here with an opportunity to have every one of your sins forgiven and your past eradicated and a brand new future set before you that's what Jesus calls being saved isn't it wonderful that God has messed around with you this long now just think I'm not thinking of anybody in particular I'm looking at faces Some of you guys are really, really lucky that when you decorated them bar stools, that somebody didn't hit you ahead with a beer bottle or shoot you dead right where you were. Aren't you lucky? Or is it God's sovereign patience and power kept you safe till you got saved? Man, I'm glad God has a program and God has made the provision. God is patient. But notice God's punishment. I read for you and i close for the third time. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy, not the vineyard, but the husband, and will give the vineyard to others. Sometime, if you want to, you can read Second Chronicles chapter thirty-six, verse fifteen through seventeen. It talks about God sending His prophets, and they abused them and persecuted them, and God got tired, and God's wrath became preeminent, and He sent Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to that Jewish nation and those Jewish leaders and the Bible says in 2nd Chronicles that the Babylonians will kill the religious leaders and their kids in the temple and they destroyed that nation and carried the bunch that Jesus is talking to off to Babylon same thing happened in A.D. 70, when Titus and the Romans did the same thing. He's a God of provision. When you sit down in your car today, don't thank Ford for it. They're the ones charging you for it. Thank God for giving you the money that you've made to payment thus far. When you go home this evening and you sit down in your thatched-roofed house and tell your wife she needs to vacuum the dirt off of the dirt, it's just yours for a little while. You might ought to thank God for his provision. He saved you so that you can get into his program. I'm so glad he's patient with us. But did you know this verse, and it's, it's, it's a real. the wages of sin, you know the rest of it? Tell me, the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is what? Okay, the wages of sin is what? Somebody's got to die for your sin. Somebody. Somebody's going to have to die for your sin because the wages of sin is death. God is a just and holy God. He cannot look over your sin. He cannot look past your sin the wages of sin is what somebody's going to have to pay for your sins with death heart attack is not going to kill you sin is going to kill you now i've got a deal for you You can let Jesus die for you, or you can die for yourself. You can let Jesus take sin's payment and sin's punishment, which is hell, banishment from God, tortured and tormented in a devil's hell. You can let Jesus take all the hell for you or you can take it yourself. But you put her down. The justice of God is sure. For many, many years, Israel was not a nation banished and scattered all over the world. Jesus told them this this parable, he's going to do that. All over the world. 1948, they begin to come back They came back politically, but they're not back religiously. And the church is now God's vineyard. And you and I are his fine dressers.